Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Skywalk Podcast. This is the second installment of the podcast, so thank you for tuning in. If you didn't listen to the first episode, I would recommend you go check that one out. Unfortunately, I am solo on this episode, but we will hopefully get my lovely co-host back in soon. Like last time, I will go over the rundown of things, however faster this time, and then we'll jump right into the episode. So, first off as always, hello! I'm Gavin Moriarty, your host for this podcast. I'm an astrophysics major who hopes to pursue a PhD in the field. In my spare time, I do astrophotography, and I am a nerd for all things that are space. I am one of those people that, like, spends time on Instagram and just looks at weird posts about hawking radiation and things that most people wouldn't have never even heard of in their life. Why? I, I don't know, because apparently for me, it's interesting. You may have also heard me through the other things I do. I run another podcast that should be able to that you should be able to find anywhere that you're listening to this one already. It's called the Hot Coco Chats podcast, where I run script free with a guest mostly week by week, and we just chit chat about whatever we want. It's bonkers, it's calming, and the previous episode was my first special guest starring Brad Buell, who you may know on YouTube and other things under the account Saturday. I also run my own mostly gaming YouTube channel called Zombified, that's Z-O-M-B-E-F-I-E-D for those that need the spelling, because it is different than what you would think, um, along with accompanying social media accounts, to, so make sure to go check those out, the links will be in the description. Alright, that's enough about me, if you want to learn more, feel free to go check out the other things that I do, that will be more personal onto stuff that I do, things that I care about, all that, right now. All we're focusing on is space. And just in case, for those that don't know, in the Skywalk podcast, I will spend each episode talking about a different space object. Specifically, we're going to go through all the Messier objects. I will go through a couple different categories of information and teach you guys all about each one of these objects. Every once in a while, though, I will take a step back and we will look at the bigger picture of these objects and I will pick a constellation and talk about it. In these special episodes, I will be uh, more closely uh, talking with my co-host Jillian, who uh, is usually a co-host, but obviously not here today because I'm solo. Um, but she is our resident, uh, at, what is it called? Um, as, uh, astrology. There we go. I, I really don't like the subject, but for those special episodes, she will be taking over what the astrology portion of it is. Um, along with these episodes, make sure to follow along on Twitter at SkywalkPod, where I'll post graphics to go along with what you've been listening to, and it will help you better grasp some of the points that I'm talking about, especially when I'm describing what these objects look like. It's a lot easier to just go onto the Twitter and look up the image while you're listening to this, because luckily it's not a video, so you don't need to worry about being on two things on your screen at once. So it's a lot easier. Go check it out. Uh, like, follow, stay up to date with everything about this podcast. All right. Now that we have that general understanding of the podcast out of the way, hopefully that wasn't as long as previously, we will jump straight into uh, these Messier objects. So uh, just real quick, Charles Messier was a French bloke born uh, June 26, 1730 as uh, the 10th of 12 kids because people had huge families back then. As a young kid, Messier become, became, became, become, yeah, whatever, became fascinated with space objects after a few space events that happened in his town, like uh, one of the 
greatest comets with six tails, all that kind of stuff. Those big things that happened, and he got fascinated at a young age. At age 21, he joined the French Navy and would eventually begin working at an observatory in Paris. He continued his fascination in comets, eventually getting coined the nickname Comet Ferret by King Louis the Fifth. For the Fifth, that Roman numerals are hard. X five, X V. So the fifteenth. Wow, we got there eventually, folks. In 1758, he noticed a strange cloudy patch in the constellation Taurus while observing a comet and took note of it to help astronomers not mistaken it for a comet and started cataloging other comet-like, quote, objects to avoid. And hence, we got the Messier catalog. The objects that he saw that he saw is known as NGC 1952, or NGC is a new general catalog. It's another way that people categorize all these deep space stuff but it would eventually become known as messier one or just plainly m1 or more commonly known today as the crab nebula which is what our first episode was about so if you haven't uh listened to that one again i will recommend hopefully for the last time that you should go check that one out uh messier ended up dying in 1817 and by then he had created a list of 103 objects but the Messier catalog would be revised in the 20th century to be a total of 110, which I've been meaning to look that up. I don't know how they managed to find more objects out of, like, how do you find seven more objects within already objects? But maybe it's weird clusters and things like that. All right, that's all the backstory you guys need. So let's embark on our journey through the stars. Hopefully everyone made it to this point. And if you are still conscious, then thank you. You're a cool person and go get yourself a cookie for all your great work. Star cookies, get bonus points like always. Get them star cookies. All right, enough chit chat, let's get down to the nitty gritty. So, Messier 2, or M2 as we will call it for, through most of this. M2 was first discovered on September 11th, 1746 by Jean-Dominique Miraldi. Miraldi? Yeah, we're gonna go with that. An Italian-born French astronomer, yes, that sounds just as messy as it sounds, um, while joined with French astronomer Jacques, Jacques, uh, man, I need to touch up on my French, uh, Cassini, who is the son of the famous Italian astronomer Giovanni Cassini. These two uh, found this object while they were observing a comet. Uh, Moraldi's journal entry about the object goes as following. It's a, a little long, but hang with me here. Quote, on September 11, I have observed another one uh, for which the right ascension is a bunch of numbers and the declination is a bunch uh, very near to the parallel where the comet should be. This one is round, well terminated, and brighter in the center, about four or five in extent, and not a single star around it to a pretty large distance. None can be seen in the whole field of the telescope. This appears very singular to me, for most of the stars one calls nebulous are surrounded by many stars, making one think that the whiteness found there is an effect of the light of a mass of stars too small to be seen in the largest telescopes. I took at first this nebula for the, the comet. Excuse me. Uh, so basically what he's saying there, out in plain man's term, is that he was looking for this nebula or something he's looking for something else found this very bright object uh that 
and with the technology there all he saw was just literally like a bright light and he thought this was weird it's not cat cat like uh cataloged anywhere and so he was just describing it that it's very bright especially in the core of the thing that he's seen and in the telescope uh all he sees is this bright there's no stars around it uh because probably because of how bright it is it it blurs out all the other stars and so after this there wasn't really anything more on the object until september 11th 1760 uh for those keeping track yes that's 14 years exactly to the day uh that the original spotting occurred and who spotted this cluster that no other than our man charles messier that's right our man the comet ferret uh, this would be the first globular cluster added to the Messier's catalog. His journal entry goes as follow. Quote, Nebula without star in the head of Aquarius. Its center is brilliant and the light surrounding it is round. It resembles the beautiful nebula which is saturated between the head and the bow of, uh, bow bow? Uh, of Sagittarius or, which, or uh, M22 is what he's referring to. It is seen very well with a telescope of two feet, and that would be in focal length, uh, placed below the parallel, same declination as previously referred, of Alpha Aquarii, which is a star in uh, Aquarius. Both of these reports seem... Uh, that's end quote there, I'm sorry. Uh, both of these reports seem uh, that with the technology at the time, they could only see a glob of light in the star. And it wasn't until 1783, which is, what, 23 years later, when the German-British astronomer... What's with all these people being two nationalities? In, like, German-British, we have Italian-French, I don't know. Uh, the German-British British astronomer, William Herschel, first started resolving individual stars within the cluster itself. So he was the first one to actually start, like, pointing out that there's, like, multiple things within it and not just this giant mass of light. So that's the history for it. It's not anything more crazy than that. But where did this come from? Honestly, we don't like I don't really know how to describe it. It's a cluster of stars. So I'm just going to throw it out at the uni creation of the universe and the Milky Way itself uh, to really say that that's where this came from, because there's not really anything else that caused this. It's just stars being stars, you know, so here is the description. With a right ascension of 21 hours, 33 minutes, 27.02 seconds, and a declination of negative 00 degrees, 49 seconds, and 23.7 minutes, and a radius of roughly like 40 to 175 light years, it's different sources say different things, and it's also hard depending on if you're talking about just like the bright core or if you're talking about the whole length of it. But from that, you can get a gist of the difference of the core and how far it spreads out. Um, so 40 to 175 light years. M2 can be found just to the right of, I'm going to pronounce these wrong, Sadamalik Alpha, given that Aquarius is upright. And uh, if you made a triangle going from uh, Sadamilic Alpha, which is sort of like the tip, top head, whatever, because I don't, Aquarius is like a bunch of water and fish, I think, even though it's an air sign. So like whatever the top tip of it is, uh, that's uh, Sadamilic Alpha. 
And if you were to go like right from it and go to the next star in the uh in the constellation, which is um Sadal Sud Beta, which I think also goes by a different name. It might have been that um Aquarii star that we mentioned earlier. It might have the those might be both the same name. But anyways, the the next right star in it. If you made like if you went up from that one and right from Sadamalik, uh, where are those connected? It's basically right there, from what I can see. And again, go like on the if you're looking at the image on Twitter, you can get a better representation of what I'm trying to explain here. And speaking of Aquarius, well, that that that's where it is. Uh, it's <laughs> approximately fifty-five thousand light years away towards inwards of the constellation Aquarius. And again, uh, I'll just quickly go over it uh, because it's one of the it's the second episode. So just in case, a light year for those that don't know is uh, actually a rev like it's not uh, even though it has year in the name of it it is describing distance. So a light year is the distance traveled by light in one year. So light travels whatever the speed is. It's freakishly fast. So a light so however far the like the speed of light is and goes in a year, that's one light year. So it's it's really easy when you think of like the words and how it's made up and that it's distance and not time, but I just thought I would go over it one more time. Uh so what does messier to actually look like what is like a globular cluster some might be asking uh, well once again if you go check out the images on the twitter of skywalk pot now uh there's another plug for you but m2 looks pretty close to how it sounds it is a giant magnificent collection of stars in a very small area of the sky as most things in space are it is very circularly shaped um think of it as if you were to drop like water on a table it would mostly collect where it first hit there that would be like the center and then it would kind of like in a circle a, like every direction away from it it would like spread out you know and so when you're actually looking at this object every single one of those dots is a star which I, I would recommend looking it up because it is a very pretty object. Uh, if you look at the picture that the Hubble created uh, just a few years ago, I think it was, it's out, it was after 2010, um, it's a very magnificent and every single one of those dots is a star. Um, and there's different colors which represent different ages of stars. So you can see white, red, blue, yellow stars, but the center core brightness is mostly white. Speaking of stars, it actually contains roughly 150,000 stars in this cluster, which is a very large number to try to fathom. That's, yeah, if you, if you put that into money, that's like three years pay for some people. M2 has an apparent magnitude of plus 6.3. Uh, it is right at the cusp of what the naked eye could see if you were in a dark sky location with perfect weather. And so for those that don't know the scale and dis didn't listen to the first episode yet, I'll narrow it down uh, to negative 30 and positive 30 range as um, like uh, visibility goes. And so the, the sun on the scale is actually negative 26.7, which sounds backwards, 
but negative is bright. So negative 26.7 is our sun in the sky. And then the limit of what the Hubble Space Telescope can see is actually positive 27. And so a full moon is negative 12.5. Our naked eye can see to roughly positive 6. And so that's why this uh, positive 6.3 is very, very hard to see, but can be done. Um, binoculars are uh, plus 10. Pluto is plus 14. So if you're uh, lucky enough to be near a Bortle Class 1 sky, which more explaining here, sorry guys, uh, Bortle Class is how we... Uh, judge light pollution so like downtown LA will be uh border class nine and then uh zero light pollution like in the middle of the Grand Canyon would be uh one and so it's a one to nine scale um and so if you're in a border class one sky and there was no no weather at all it was a perfectly clear day perfect weather um and maybe like there's no termination in the atmosphere and you know where to look and Maybe you have to do one of those like, you know how when you're looking like say off the shoreline and there's, you know that there's something way out there, but you can only see it when you look like away from it. But when you look at it, you can't see it. It might be one of those scenarios. I've never seen this object. I've never been to a border class one sky, but they say that it's possible. So I'm going to go with that, that maybe it's not when you look at it. Maybe it's if you look slightly away from it, then you can start to see it. I don't understand how eyes do that, but whatever. It is possible to see. And if you are really wanting to go see this object, the best viewing time is during October, but I've seen it range from like July to October, but every, everything always says October. So I would go with that because that seems to be the for sure date that and that is the best time to see it. So that's, that's all our descriptions. We're gonna move on to what this object means in a cultural, uh, like representation or we're not actually i couldn't find really anything of cultural representation or historical significance of m2 um so instead i'm just going to use this section as a little quick facts uh section just so that we're not totally out of like another another segment you know so messier 2 is one of the largest clusters of its kind um and that's because of 150,000 stars is insane um, the Hubble image of M2's core, which is the one that I recommended you should look up, um, was created using observations taken at visible and infrared wavelengths. So the cool thing about the Hubble is that it has a few different cameras on it, and so it can do pictures like this where it's actually, if you were to take a photo with just regular visibility of light that your eyes can see, it wouldn't look like that. But if you go into the infrared spectrum or microwave spectrum, uh, everything looks different. It's really weird how uh, wavelengths work. Uh, the cluster can be observed in binoculars and small telescopes a lot more easier than your eyes, but individual stars can only be seen in larger instruments beginning at around six inch uh, telescopes. So you can see like the bright light of it, which would probably be the core because it's a, a giant collection of 150,000 stars, you know, but if you want to actually start seeing like those different dots, different like characteristics of it, the denseness to the like more expanded view, you're going to need a, a little bit of a larger telescope. M Messier 2 in the modern day, which once again, I couldn't find anything. I don't know. This object just didn't work out for me, but I'll still give you guys some more information on it. 
So the cluster is actually very, very old. And it you're kind of wondering, like, how can these stars be that old? Well, actually, after studying the stars in this cluster, they think that it's roughly 13 billion years old, which sounds insane. I Like, it's hard for me to, to even, even fathom that. And it's going to be even crazier given the fact that the universe is only 13.8 billion years old. So it's under a billion years from the creation of just everything, which I some might, okay, some might listen to that and say a billion years, that's a really long time, blah, blah, blah. Which, yes, admittedly it is if you're comparing it to human lifetime, but in the grand scheme of space, once you get off of the Earth, everything is bigger. It's incredible how small we actually are and how much that we can actually see and how much we know. So freakishly small. Like, if you think about the moon is basically a hop, skip, and a jump away from Earth in the grand scheme of, like, space, and it still takes... Last, it took us three days to get there. Things go fast. Things are large. Things are far away. Things are old. And so that's very... Very weird. And then I'm going to go one step further. And if you think about that, we estimate that it's 13 billion years old. That means that chances are right now, though, that cluster is not there anymore. It Because if you think about how light years work and how we see things, we're actually seeing those stars 13 billion years ago. It, let that sink in for a second. We're not seeing those stars now. It's taken that long for the light to get there. Um, so there is a good chance that it, it's like, because it's already been however millions and billions of years since those stars are where they are right now, most to all of them could be gone. And that's, that's just something to sit on. I didn't mean to send people into an existential crisis. If I do, I apologize. <laughs> but we just wanted to get a little bit deeper on this episode. And so the reason we need larger instruments to resolve the individual stars of this cluster is due to the distance and age of the cluster and stars within it. Remember, we're talking about stars that are close to the beginning of the universe being created versus our star. And for those, because some people don't know, we do have a star in our solar system. It is called the sun. The sun is actually a star. Um, Just thought I'd clarify that. So our star is only about 4.6 billion years old. So, you know, these our, our son is kind of a, a child to these grandparents. Um, sometimes you will see a blue straggler star, which are main sequence stars in clusters that seem more blue and luminous than stars in the main sequence turnoff points. Now, what does that mean? Honestly, when I looked that up, I didn't know what that meant either, because that's a whole lot of uh, science gibberish that even I don't understand, and I study this stuff. So a turnoff point is just a way of when you're using an HR chart, which is a whole whole different thing. But when you're using a certain type of chart, it's ways to see to, the turnoff point is when stars are dying and stuff like that. And it's a way for scientists to determine the age of the cluster itself, uh, basing it off of when stars are dying and all that. And so uh, you might see that these uh, certain stars seem bluer and brighter than what they should be. Uh, this was noticed by the American astronomer Alan Sandage in 1953 while studying, well, actually studying M3, which will be our next episode. Um, 
And so that's just another interesting fact. And I, I like that one because it's a little bit closer to where we are now. That's only about 70 years ago, not even. So it's a, it's a little bit more modern uh, development of this object versus everything that, like, we learned everything about it by, what, the, before the 1800s. So I like that point. All right, so this has been your guide to a very old object that is Messier 2. Once again, this is one that I have not looked into too heavily before the writing of this episode, but I like the object, actually. It's kind of cool. Even just looking at it on the computer, it really is actually crazy how bright the core is because, like, you know, when you, 150,000 ball, giant balls of burning hydrogen in a very small space relative, um... It's very bright, even on my screen. Like I turn down the brightness, and that that center part of my screen is illuminated versus the rest of my screen. It's kind of it's kind of funny, um, but it's very very bright. And so hopefully, just listening to my voice wasn't too bad and wasn't too draining through all of this. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys sticking through this. Uh, I know I, d I wasn't joined with my uh, co-hosts who help with the comedic relief of the episode. Uh, this was a lot more scientific, a lot more in-depth, and a lot more, like, factual, stuff like that. But if you guys like this type of version of it, reach out, let me know. Uh, I, I would appreciate any feedback, and I, I, I like commun the community feel of things, you know? Um, but thank you to all of you, the audience. Uh, for those that stuck through to the end of this, uh, you know something I haven't talked about in a while has been the Twitter. So once again, how? <laughs> nah, but yeah, Skywalk Pod on Twitter. Go check it out. It will help with the images, especially this one. The Crab Nebula last time, a little easier to understand, more colors. It's a nebula, so like there's shape to it. This one is just literally just stars. Um, And also, don't forget to check out the Hot Cocoa Chats podcast uh, in case you just want some unscripted banter. Sometimes it's nice to have in the background when you're working on stuff. I know I listen to other podcasts that are just free, like no scripted and all that kind of stuff. Just people turn on a mic, go have fun. So that's what I wanted to start as well. And lastly, don't forget uh, to check out the YouTube Zombified so that you can get your fix on gaming and other sort of entertainment goodness. And I will leave with, I, I will leave you guys on one last thing besides don't forget to rate five stars and all that comment, all that fun stuff. Hee <laughs> hee. Um, but I will leave you guys on one last thing. I do have a project that is coming out soon. Uh, I've already done the things that I've need to do in the back end, and I just need to write and record it. And hopefully, if I get a couple more people, I can actually record a video to go along with it. But I'm very excited. I'm. I don't know if, if I can really say I'm working with some companies, but they've definitely helped me. Uh, I have a couple companies that have actually uh, helped me along with the process of this, and it's going to be a really cool podcast slash hopefully like actual series on the YouTube channel where you can see my pretty face. All right. Anyways, guys, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you guys have a great day. Mm -hmm.